You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to Locked On NFL. This is going to be a fun one. The draft is all over our attention at this point. There's scenarios, there's concepts, and we're going to get into where things are being mocked and whether they should be there or not. We're brought to you today by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. We're going to have a good time, I think, because there's a couple of things changing around the league we'll get into right away. I'm Ryan Tracy, the founder of Rogue Analytics of the Athletic Matrix, who we'll tell you about later, as well as RGR Football. Jake Liscow, you got to keep me straight on where we're going and what this offseason is going to look like. Yeah, Ian Rappaport telling us today that there's going to be some in-person activities, which is major news. The report <laughs> is that OTAs could be happening on the field. We could have passing camps as well. This is not necessarily finalized at this point. The NFL and NFLPA working through health and safety protocols. But after last offseason, especially for rookies, coming into the league without rookie camp, everything being digital, trying to learn the NFL. Sounds like this year, as early as spring, there will be in-person football activities, which I think coaches are going to be really excited for to get their hands on some guys early, not be doing all of their installs over Zoom, which (laughs) I imagine was very challenging last year. And for fans... I think this is a really good sign. If you're one of those fans that likes to go to your team's training camp, the part that's open to the public, that could be in the cards the way things are trending right now. I like that trend. That's one of my favorite. I usually take a long weekend and spend a few days at camp to make sure that what I'm hearing is what I'm seeing. And then there's always the little details, right? It's amazing how much you can get out of just simply watching guys run routes, even in shells. I know everybody says that eh, it's not the real thing. You're right, it's not. But you can get some takeaways, and you certainly can see progression. I think that's what the OTA period is all about. And for those guys, I thought the, the most prescient thing you said was the guys who didn't get an offseason last year, the rookies that had to walk into training camp without basically anything, without having a concept of where they are spatially on the field and try to get into a professional league. I think we might see a lot of second-year players that take a bigger leap than maybe we're used to. At least the ones that got to have a full offseason because, of course, injuries are still a thing. But I'm also thinking – I agree with you. I'm also thinking about coaches, first-year head coaches last year, second-year head coaches last year, and then the the first-year head coaches this year – not having to deal with that digital install that so many teams had to deal with last year, probably the most successful of those, Kevin Stefanski. So you look at the Browns, for example, who eventually figured it out. They did have a very rough week one, but then, you know, Kevin Stefanski saw his players running his system against another team, was able to make some adjustments. Well, now you don't have to wait to see how that might work until your first regular season game with the very high likelihood of those three preseason games coming up. So I think that's great news for everybody involved, the players, the coaches, the fans, everybody wins and a step back toward normalcy is very welcome at this point. I'm sure it is. I mean, but even, even in that return, whether they get all the way back later in the process or not, we'll see like mandatory veteran mini camps and et cetera, et cetera. 
the preseason aspect is a good point too, because even quote unquote back to normal isn't going to be normal anymore because you're not going to have that fourth game to, you know, really evaluate the tail end of your roster. Who's going to be on teams for you? Who's going to be covering kicks? Like the whole concept of what's gone on since the end of the 2019 season just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. You have to do your best to adapt. And I think that's what this season is all about. And that's what the draft is going to be all about. Adaptation seems to be the name of the game in the NFL right now. You saw teams last year figure out who they had to cut down without any preseason whatsoever. They won't get a fourth game, but you'll just see teams shuffle it, right? Maybe the second game will become the agreed upon one half vanilla scrimmage that coaches like to do with each other. Maybe it'll stay in the third game. It'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. But speaking of the draft and adapting to the draft, we knew that Justin Fields was going to throw again because Kyle Shanahan said they were going to have a chance to go see Justin Fields. And that date has been finalized. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch will both see Justin Fields throw on April 14th. They missed his pro day, famously, infamously. I'm not sure which one of those better describes it for Mac Jones's pro day. And I think that is a great segue, Ryan, to a bigger conversation about some trends that we're seeing in the first round, at least maybe in the media. And it's probably just a function of the media catching up to the NFL or at least the specific teams picking in the top five, top 15 or so of this draft. And we can get into some of those trends and some of the things that maybe the media was behind on learning coming up next. The chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics versus us do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing their prices based on whims like the airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or an account login. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend twice the money for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com now to see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Ryan, we were talking before we started recording about the draft and about how the the media seems to be catching up in some ways to what's going on in the NFL. And every year, this might be a tired topic for some people at this point, but every year we talk about these trends or draft quote unquote stock. And I'm not sure how much that's a real thing. I, I do think that players move marginally up and down NFL team boards based on how they test and how they measure. I, I do think that there are some things that NFL teams really care about there. But when you see something like, oh, Justin Fields might get out of the top five, the NFL's probably felt that way about Justin Fields. And this is a hypothetical for quite some time. And it's just that at this point, the media is catching up at this point. The scouts that have the reports on Justin Fields have met with their GMs and have sat in a room and have established the consensus in the organization. And then that gets out to the media somehow. I'm not really sure what exactly that process is in terms of that information getting out to the media. A lot of it is deliberate 
and it's called mm-hmm. lying season for a reason. But every year we see this, this significant change in mock draft position for some players this year, no exception to that. But it is interesting to talk about how that isn't necessarily a sea level change for NFL teams. It's just the information coming out with the media generally getting around to this part of the analysis cycle before the NFL. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. I think it is very much specific on what front office it is as well because I think for the most part, the film grades are going to lead the way, and you're going to have those before you even enter into the Senior Bowl, the Combine, and then you kind of get to moving around. In in my personal experience, when I've talked to people that are in this process amongst teams, it's generally a tiered process where something outlandish, whether it's a senior bowl performance or, you know, an unexpectedly good combine or quite frankly, an unexpectedly bad combine uh, can move somebody around in a tier. But we're not talking about you know three round swings at this point. I think that there are some exceptions to that rule, right? How about how about the small school guys? Quinn Miners this year didn't play Wisconsin Whitewater. I don't think a single person besides maybe Dame Brugler, whose draft guide just came out today on the athletic <laughs> shout out to Dame Brugler for the insane work that goes into that every year knew who Quinn Miners was before the senior bowl came along. Right. Obviously Jim Nagy did cause he invited him to the senior bowl and then he right. goes out, has a great week tests like an insanely good athlete. And now Quinn Miners is day two, most likely. And a hard eval, I think, still for teams because they don't have that tape grade. And if you talk to a coach or a scout that's involved on Quinn Miners, they're saying, well, it's hard because he played for Whitewater and he didn't play. So now we have to go find Wisconsin Whitewater tape from two years ago and try to figure out who he was on tape and then try to watch his senior bowl workouts and his pro day workouts and try to figure out who he is now. So there are some exceptions, but generally I think you're spot on. That tape grade for, for Justin Fields, was for, for most of the scouts out there, that's been finalized. There's not new football to watch. You know, right. they, they, that's their job. Pro day or not, um, whether Kyle's in the building or not, you know what he's done on the field. I, I agree with you. And I think Miners is a great example of, uh, you think that whatever the film is, no matter what it is, for a guy coming from that level, the level of competition that you, even when you see the film, doesn't give you enough a lot of teams are going to rely on that senior bowl performance. And yes, while that is the exception to the rule, that is a, a guy that I don't think was ever, I, I maybe day two, sure. But the, these people that I, I keep hearing pushing him into the forties and this kind of, I don't think that's in the realm of possibility. I don't think the teams, which are the only people that actually matter in this whole process that we go through every season. I don't think teams ever had him that high. And quite frankly, I won't see it as a rise or a fall. I will see whether it's affirmation that you got at the senior bowl that he is what you thought he was or that he's not. If there are teams out there that got completely caught off by surprise, then Jim Nagy should be working for those teams because your scouting department didn't beat the grass enough. It's just a question of, of are the teams going to pay Jim Nagy enough money to take him away from that senior bowl job? <laughs> That's a good job he's got down there. The Reese's pockets are pretty deep. So yeah, that's going to be a stiff one. And it's the best candy. Hot take, best candy, Reese's Oof. peanut butter cups. <laughs> Anything with peanut butter in it is outlawed. Outlawed? Oh, I guess peanut allergies? No. Oh, you just don't just, like peanut? I like peanut butter. I don't like it in candy. It's, it's strange, I know. 
Oh, man. Good thing we don't have to go trick-or-treating together. Quinn Miners, by the way. Benjamin Robinson runs this great website that tracks where fans, experts, media have expected draft position for certain players. Quinn Miners, according to his algorithm, is expected to be drafted somewhere in the second to third fringe range. He has him at 59 right now. And if you look at the trend, this trend that sort of exists, uh, before the Senior Bowl, Quinn Miners is right around 200 in the one mock that knows he exists. And then he gets invited to the Senior Bowl. And then a few more mocks are sprinkled in there that, that have Quinn Miners a part of them. He kind of creeps into the, the low 100s, you know, 180, 170. Then the Senior Bowl happens. Everybody knows who Quinn Miners is now. The media gets a hold of it. Fans get a hold of it. Experts get a hold of it. And suddenly he's a top 100 pick. And it's not like that. Well, actually, in this case, that might actually be what happened for NFL teams. But typically... That's not what it is for NFL teams. They know who these guys are. Weird year, though. COVID year, small mm-hmm. school. A lot of reasons that Quinn Miners is an, is an exception. But the highest I see him here, Ryan, two mocks on the chart have him in the first round. And I would I would have a hard time seeing that. But he did test like a great athlete. And sometimes teams do weird things. You know, he did test very well. I think that's a big positive. And you have to have that coming from that level of competition. That is like a prerequisite no matter what in order to try to survive at the NFL level. But I would say that all that, exactly what you just laid out, the media gets a hold of it, he gets exposure, and then these mocks take him up into the stratosphere, right? I don't think that scouting departments around the league react the same way. So while he got a bump, I am certain, if he was somewhere in the sixth, seventh area before, he might be up in the fourth. I, I'm having trouble seeing him even get out of the top 70 picks. I think he's going to be in that probably 80 to 120 range is my guess. That seems pretty likely. I mean, the, the quality of competition, this turned into a Quinn Miners segment. Look at us go. The quality of competition <laughs> for, for Quinn Miners was, was non-existent, and teams are going to potentially knock some guys for taking a year off. I don't know if all teams are going to do that, but I mean, he interviewed great. He's got a great personality. It appears. I imagine some teams are going to fall in love with him and it only takes one, right? It's, it's all, it's like Seattle and Oakland are the teams that I always think of, of doing weird things and overdrafting players. Uh, It can be anybody in any given year that, that gives you a head scratcher. Sometimes they turn out and everyone that, it thinks it's a head scratcher is wrong. Travis Frederick, when he got drafted by Dallas, a lot of people are sitting there thinking, man, that seems like a round early. Then he goes and becomes an all pro center and, or, or very good center if he's not quite an all pro in, in some years, but sometimes it's Cleveland Farrell and, and maybe Cleveland Farrell still turns a corner, but I don't think anybody saw him as a top 10 prospect where, where the Raiders had him picked. But speaking of trends, and speaking of, of Justin Fields, who we talked about a long time ago, getting away from Quinn Miners for a second here, if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah. Mac Jones was seen by the media. He's been seen by the media as a, as a first-round pick since probably around the new year in January. He kind of got up into the bottom of the first round. And then in February, maybe a little bit higher in the 20s, and then before the, the pro day season starts in March, people start to see, okay, there's a floor for him. A lot of people start mocking him to New England at 15. And that brings his number up a little bit. And then this, this trade happens. And 
if you buy it and there's a ton of black thick smoke at this point that suggests there is certainly a fire there. This is, this is potentially Kyle Shanahan's guy at three. And so you see Mac Jones perceived stock jump into the top 10. Some people don't buy it, but there is a, a increasingly dark line projecting Mac Jones at that third pick. There has been much discourse Almost as much discourse around Justin Fields and Mac Jones as there's been in the Sewell versus Chase debate for Cincinnati that made its way into the national media and really took off this week. And we'll talk about it and have some discourse of our own coming up next. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are going to be back in full swing. And Bet Online even covers award shows, reality TV, all kinds of stuff. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. The promo code's locked on for BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So at this point, we'll set the course for this discourse, and I'll try to keep up with where you're going because I get sidetracked when I start thinking about Mac Jones because not only of that meteoric climb, but also what that means. And I think you said something in the last segment that really stands out to me and that I've been going over this entire draft for because of, like we talked about earlier, a return to partial normality maybe, right? But how do teams see selections in this draft because they don't have the film or they don't have the practice or they don't have something that they're used to having, right? For me, I think a lot of teams – Certainly the way that I approach a draft on a, on a standard year is about talent. It's about upside. It's about what can you become? I think in this draft, a lot of teams are going to switch that priority to the floor. What is a safe play for this guy? Is Mac Jones, because we feel he has a high floor, maybe he doesn't have that ceiling that Fields has or anyone else that can use their legs, but maybe that floor is what's driving interest because you feel like in a really uncertain year because of the data you don't have or the tape that you don't have, maybe you see enough there that the floor is more important than that can boost you into the top five. And the challenge in evaluating whether that's true or not is going to be the situation these guys are landing in. Whoever lands in San Francisco is coming into a great situation with Mm -hmm. a good offensive line, a good defense, a running game that with Kyle Shanahan coaching it is just going to work regardless of who the players are and they get Kyle Kyle Shanahan as a coach. And so if they do draft Mac Jones at three, San Francisco is going to be fine. And Mac Jones is probably going to be a productive quarterback, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if they had drafted Justin Fields, that fields wouldn't be better or even revolutionary for, for what Kyle Shanahan could do with, with uh, Justin Fields. So it, it, is difficult because we won't be able to evaluate it. So look at Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft right now, for example. He buys the the San Francisco Mac Jones stuff. His description of the pick is, I'm not surprised San Francisco traded up to three. I am surprised that everything points to Jones being the pick. And I'm surprised by that too. And then you scroll down a little bit. You're like, okay, where's Justin Fields go? Seven to Detroit. Detroit is an organization currently rebuilding to be generous with the new head coach that may or may not work. 
And this isn't to say that Fields would fail in Detroit, but Detroit is a historically struggling organization anyway. And yeah, Matt Stafford was good there, but he he never got them over the hump, right? So if, if Justin Fields goes to Detroit instead of San Francisco, it obviously sets him up much differently. And, and finding that floor becomes a, a challenging exercise when we do a retrospective on this year, you know, in three years, which I think is, you know, when most people say you evaluate a draft. Now, looking at it in real time, there's a perceived floor on all these guys and that we can look at the day after the draft and say, yeah, I I think that a lot of teams did do this, but you're also hearing that the jets, for example, are, are locked on Zach Wilson at this point. And Zach Wilson to me isn't a floor pick coming out of BYU with, with good arm talent. It, it just, I think you'll see maybe a, a very disparate approach league-wide. Are there other teams you get the feel are, are going to be more conservative than others? Because I think you could really see some some polar approaches this year. I, I agree with you completely. And I would say I don't buy fields at seven, first and foremost. Um, how much are you paying off? I don't know that he's anybody who's going to mentor anybody, so I can't see you making an investment at that point. I think they're a candidate to trade out if they're smart about it, to tell you the truth. But there are teams like Dallas that it needs to be careful. Um, there are certainly team, other teams in the top ten. I, I will say this. I don't think that you can gauge the barometer of how the league in general is feeling as maybe you know the most out of 32 by what the New York Jets do. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So, mm-hmm. um, But again – when you do bring up Zach Wilson, that arm talent sets a floor for him that I think does give you the idea that, especially if you're a struggling organization, that maybe you do need to bolster your protection. Maybe between the athleticism and the arm talent, you feel that that floor is set by those two attributes, that maybe he can bail you out of some problems. I also feel there's other teams around the league, you know, I mean, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, teams that I think have to be a little bit more floor-centric because they're in positions where they either need to take a step forward or they have a chance to contend if they can get the right pieces in place. And those two, I, I think, stand out to me as well. Yeah, I can see that. And and what I think is going to be telling is what happens with certain prospects. There, there are some prospects that I think are seen as you know, more pro ready at the tackle position. The ongoing thing is Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell and Daniel Jeremiah for the entire process. Since we're looking at him has had Rashawn Slater ahead of Penny Sewell and he mocks him ahead of Sewell. And if Sewell gets past Cincinnati at five, I think it's fair to ask who ends up picking him. Miami certainly connected to the best available pass catcher at number six, if it's Jamar Chase, if it's Kyle Pitts, if it's Jalen Waddell, or or maybe it's Devontae Smith. And there's another ceiling floor conversation there when you look at the Ella, or the uh, Alabama guys. I think specifically mm-hmm. a wide receiver in Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. I think Smith might be seen as a safer prospect. Had no issues dealing with J.C. Horn's press a couple of years ago. Dealt with SEC competition. If you can't get your hands on a guy, it doesn't matter that he's 170, right? Whereas Jalen Waddle has this dynamic explosiveness to his game and movement skills that are very rare. He's been hurt. There, There's a much lower floor there, which is he gets hurt and never contributes for you. So a couple guys that could be barometers 
for for the NFL or at least who the specific teams are picking those guys. Like if if you see a bunch of teams pass on Sewell and he gets pushed down, then they might be looking at arbitrary things like arm length or lack of polish or age concerns potentially if, if those are out there for Sewell. And certainly there are technique concerns you've heard from the league that are pushing them down, whereas Slater is perceived as a more finished product. And so if you do see guys falling, then that's perhaps an indicator that some of the bigger projections are are not of interest to the league this year. But, you know, looking at the way free agency went, something tells me that this could be a, a pretty, I don't know if normal is the right word, but maybe relatively normal draft in terms of risk-reward approach from teams. What do you think? I'd like to see it. I'd like to say that there are teams that are going to move away from some of the classics. I just don't buy it uh, specifically with Sewell, with um, Lajavera Tucker. I think arm length is going to come in again. I think that is going to be, is that the thing that lowers the floor? No matter what you see on the film, when you're projecting from the college game, especially in the Pac-12, going up to the NFL level, I think there are teams that are going to knock you for the arm length. Whether it's habit, whether it's correct or not, I think it's going to happen. And so I can see both of those guys being penalized for some of that. The Sewell thing is crazy to me because you go turn on his tape, the length never shows up. And you mentioned Pac-12. Could be a quality of competition thing. Could be that he didn't go against any particularly long edge rushers. I think he did face Joe Tryon, though, out of Washington, who some people see as a first-round pick. And obviously they, they played Auburn and his tape against Derek Brown, who's not an edge player, but he did somehow get reps against, is is something that has been discussed. It just doesn't show up. I went back and watched Sewell because I was shocked at the arm length measurement. And mm-hmm. I, I looked for it and I, I just don't see it. The the power, the athleticism, the movement skills at, at his size. He was playing at 350 his freshman year, now down to 330. I, I just don't see the length being a problem for him, but there are NFL teams that will. It's just a matter of matter of fact. Some NFL teams have a 33 inch threshold for their tackles in arm length. Some of, some of them are, are 33 and a half and some of them are even 34. So, so you're right. I think it will hurt these guys with some teams and Jalen Waddle's injury and lack of production. Some teams have productivity thresholds that Jalen Waddle's not going to meet. And that's just going to take that, take him off their board in the first round. And that could very well be to their detriment. Yeah, very well, because you will see guys that whether they flash consistently or not in college or whether they have those drawbacks, injury specifically, there are people that get things straightened out. Nick Chubb was hurt a lot in college. He's had one sustained injury so far in his career, and he has become what I think is the best back in the league. And so there is a way for the maturation process to alleviate some of that. And again, it's risk versus reward and what you think if it doesn't work out, what that floor is going to be. Yeah, that's a great point with some of these guys that missed a year too. Like the Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell thing. Both of those guys missed a year. What do you think they've been doing in their year off? Like their tape would not have been the same. It might have been better. It might have been worse. But people were shocked that Jamar Chase ran a 4-4. I mean, officially a 4-3-4, but a 4-4-40. And you go back and you watch. Well, he was 19 the last time he played. What do you think happens when you go from 19 to 20 and you don't play football and all you do as a track athlete is you train your body and you try to add speed? Of course, Jamar Chase is going to run better a year later. Like, 
it's not like these guys are static bodies. You make a great point. They do grow up. They do grow into their bodies. And sometimes it takes a while. Uh, Colton Miller, who you mentioned when we weren't recording earlier, a guy that took a while, had the athletic tools, took a while to come into it. Mm-hmm. So the NFL draft being a projection game largely, the, the ceiling floor debate, the risk reward, it's a lot of questions that in this weird year have a lot more uncertainty around them that NFL teams will have to find a way to answer. Yeah, and that's the name of the game. And you'll find that those that know not only what they see, but how they project to their roster and the competition they have to face. I think this actually comes back to divisional rivalries. And who are you going to be playing this particular season? Who is your out-of-conference group? It comes down to those projections. The best teams have not you know <laughs> magic eight balls, but they're able to take what they see and project it forward. And the best that are can accomplish that goal and be the most accurate for their system, I think will be the big winners out of this particular draft. Some really easy examples for that just last year in the AFC West where everybody tried to get really, really fast at wide receiver to keep up in an arms race with, with Kansas City. And I think you're right. It will be interesting to see what teams take that approach. And you hear it all the time about the kinds of players in that division, the kind of players that you need to win that division. And sometimes there are teams that can take a broader broader perspective. How, how are the Ravens going to deal with the Chiefs? How are... The 49ers, if they get a quarterback, going to deal with the Buccaneers in the NFC. It's not just those division rivalries. And I wonder if any team can really take that perspective into the draft. I certainly think that we'll see some of those trends again this year as the NFL, if nothing else, is a copycat league. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast. We'll be back with you next Thursday as the draft approaches ever closer, Ryan. It's getting very exciting. Chris and Q will have you covered for Friday's show, so make sure you tune in for any breaking NFL news and the best daily analysis you'll find. Until next Thursday, for Ryan Tracy, I'm Jake Lisko. Have a good one.